Hi, welcome to Rebel Revolution. I'm Nikki Hafner. And I'm Allison Gomez. And we're here to challenge privilege and bias by dissecting, by asking the tough questions and dissecting the difficult answers. Um, we're here today with Kayla as our special guest. Kayla, will you say hello? Hi, I'm Kayla. Kayla, well, Allie, do you want to, where should we start? Well, (laughs) let's start, Kayla, let's start with like identifying yourself. Like what are your different identities that you, well, yeah, identify with? Any intersections you may have, anything like that. Okay. Um, So you mean like, Am I, am I like he, she, or that kind of stuff? Yeah, okay. when, when I announce who I am, I would say I am a, um, I am a cis black woman, uh, pansexual, um, and I sort of just give that kind of intersection thing. Okay. Um, I'm an immigrant, I'm disabled, I have, you know, whatever. Oh. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing. All right. Yeah, it's like the main identities that you, that you, identify with so like for me i'm latina and atheist and cis hetero and those are like the main ones that i think about okay so i'm cis hispanic um even though i don't look it but (laughs) and um i identify with she and i'm heterosexual um but i love all Absolutely. Um, and part of why we brought you on, uh, I, at least part of what I was thinking, is you have experience in the education field and you have experience in academia. Um, you went to Notre Dame mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure that was a very interesting experience uh, being who you are. <laughs> um, so I, I'd love to hear. I know that's part of why I wanted to have you on and we are hoping to hear about those experiences as well. So plenty to talk about today. I'm so excited. Huh. Uh, before we started, we were talking just about your last job. Um, we won't ask you to, to name anything, name anyone, name anywhere. But um, I do want to bring up that you've worked um, in the education system. You've been a teacher. You've worked for private schools. You've worked for religious institutions. You've worked at a college level doing, um, what, what, what would you term what you did with the writing center? I was a writing consultant. Yeah. So lots of of academia stuff, lots of stuff of helping other people learn and seeing the um, the differences in that world. Is that something you'd be able to say? Oh, yeah. And I mean, I worked in public school, too, um, because when I worked at elementary school. So Uh, cat. Oh, sorry. Cat. Yes. Cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll have to bleep her, bleep her name, but it's really no big deal. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. She she just doesn't want it out there. Um, yeah, yeah. I forgot that you worked there, but yeah, yeah. And and your mother worked there as well, right? Yeah. And so that was more of like a low socioeconomic school, and then she's moved to like one of the really high ones. So there's definitely a big, big difference. Uh, yeah just like for me we're moving from there to working in a private school that was huge huge difference Mm -hmm. um will you talk a little bit about the differences in that so the school i worked at uh that was a lower that was a public school and it was a lower socioeconomic um population i know a lot of teachers that don't really like teaching in that type of school or atmosphere they feel the kids are difficult but i really found um, but I actually enjoyed those kids more. <laughs> yeah. And when I moved to private school, I found myself, like, I still loved the students. I loved working with them and the opportunities I had. But there was, I, I missed, I missed my kids that were from the other school. I missed the interactions we had. And I just felt like they appreciated me more. So, like, yeah. I would go back during, like, because since it was a private school, we'd have different breaks. So I would go back to the other school and visit the kids um, that I had taught previously. And just like right. they just they were so excited to see me. And I really felt like they were sincere about it. And um, I think it's because like a lot of times they don't have someone that cares about them like that. And I think like having me 
there. Like they felt like I cared and I, I really did. And so like <clears throat> at the private school, like obviously a lot of these kids from really come from really well off families. Um, so like they're used to having a, a stable environment and adults, you know, they're caring for them all the time. So it's kind of like, I'm more of a novelty than like, you know, right. much of a, an influence on them. Right. I think it's interesting though, that you were talking about like how some people don't like working with the, with the kiddos in the lower SES, you know, group and like, like, well, I feel like even that there's a lot to unpack. Like, what does it mean to be in the low SES and about resources and how that impacts behavior? And like, you know, a lot of people who don't have the means, they're very much like in trauma survival, like, hey, we just need to get to the next day mode versus, you know, like the people who are more well off where they're able to have things met. Like, I feel like there's just so much with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, the thing is, is like those kids, with the lower SES school, they, even though they had a lot dealing, going on at home and dealing with like, I feel like they were more well apt to deal with that kind of stuff because they had dealt with it their whole lives. Not that they should be dealing with it, but like when things would happen with my kids at private school, they just like didn't know how to deal with like life's hiccups. Like they would come to me like in panic and I'm like, I'm like, guys, this really isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but I understand mm-hmm. how you're feeling. I validate your feelings. Mm-hmm. And like, I would listen to like their problems and stuff, but you know, they just don't, when I would try to explain to them the challenges that my old students were facing, it was just like a whole, there was just such a disconnect for them. Mm-hmm. And like, I would want to like, I wanted to take, like I was in charge of the student council at the private school and I wanted to take them to my old school to kind of like have them see what it was like, but I just don't know how they would have dealt with it. Like, I don't know if they would have really like grasped the gravity of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how they were going to react to such a different environment, such different kids. And I didn't want them to do anything that would make any of them feel bad, like the kids at that school or the kids at the school I was at. So it just, and with the parents, I just didn't know how they were going to react to something like that. Cause the parents were very difficult to get, get them on board with things. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. So you were, it sounds like you were struggling against the parents at the, just to be clear. First, when we talk about socioeconomic status, we're talking about wealth, we're talking about income, we're talking about um, how well-funded the schools might be. So I want everyone, all of our listeners to understand when we throw out jargon like that, what we're talking about. And part of being at a school with a higher SES population is that they had the money put into the programs, either from taxes or from uh, parents buying stuff for the school, donations, things like that. Um, And a private school has even more of those options because they're charging for that at the upfront. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they do a lot of fundraisers and then there are like funds that we get from the state, even though we are a private school. So then on top of that, you are, you were willing to take these kids and expose them to those who may not come from the same background and have the same privileges that they have. Um, But did, I mean, did you ask about taking them or did you just consciously make the decision, step back and say, you know, I know going in that these people are probably not going to approve it and I should just not even bother. Um, I talked to the kids about it quite a bit and they had lots of good ideas but just like their attitudes towards certain things like I don't want to say like the whole entitlement thing but I mean that's definitely a big thing at private school (laughs) yeah it's a privilege yeah I mean to have more wealth is a financial privilege wealth gives you opportunities and so you know you don't have to be in that trauma mode to and survival mode because you're fine. I mean, maybe emotionally or other things are going, yeah. obviously money doesn't mean squat. Sometimes, you know, you can have the finances and things are horrible at home, but like just in terms of finance, it's like, that's a privilege in of itself. Right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> <laughs> it is. It, 
money is a privilege and having the the choice of whether or not to go back to those schools whether or not to to be exposed to the lower socioeconomic um to people living in the socioeconomic standard uh, status living in those populations um having the option not to be exposed to them is definitely privilege i wonder how many of the kids you taught or the parents you you had to deal with on a day-to-day basis realized they were privileged did any of them um recognize that i feel like you think i feel like it was a minority that kind of really acknowledged that um unfortunately like we would do like fundraisers and like you know canned food drives and drives for the homeless and stuff but i felt like it was more the kids did it because there was a competition or or they were like oh yeah i'm giving but it's like do you really understand like what you're giving and where it's going to and why you're doing it um I just don't feel like they were really getting that because a lot of the the problem with the curriculum I also felt was that they weren't getting exposed to the real world. Like we weren't allowed to teach certain things, talk about certain things. Like I talked to you guys a little bit before, like, and I just don't like, I understand things are controversial because it's a religious school, but I feel like they should still be exposed. So they know what's out there. So that they can be aware citizens. Like, you want these people to be successful and, you know, supposed to be caring, you know, Christian citizens. But, I mean, how are they supposed to accept things? They have no idea is out there. You know, it reminds me of someone I know who went to um, a Catholic school, a private Catholic school. And we were having a chat about missions because we were discussing like how um, whitewashed history is. It's it's very white centric. It's not really about what really went on. And we were discussing about the missions. So I remember like in the fourth grade, we were talking about missions and it's like this cool thing where people like were exploring and expanding and, you know, setting, you know, planting seeds for blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and as we got older, it was like, wait a minute. No, it's not about that. It was about colonizing. It was about destroying culture. It was about erasing voices and silencing and death and whatever. Like, it's really violent. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to this person and they're like, but because they went to a Catholic school and I think then went to a Catholic university, they were talking about, oh, well, they were just spreading the love of Jesus and of God and this and that. And they were able to like, without a blink of an eye, like it, mm-hmm. it just rolled off. There was no questioning like, no, this was because they, this is because of love. We are spreading love and peace and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, you know, and you can't help but get that information if you're going to schools that only give you that information. Like, I feel really like my brain went to a little judgmental, like, really? Really? But like, if that's how you're being trained to think, then of course, that's how you're going to think. So it's just, it's kind of frustrating seeing people get set up to do these things, because then you end up oppressing people like me, I make these. So like, okay, so what? Like, just because you believe in God doesn't mean you need to impose your values onto me. Like, I got my own values, so we're good. Yeah, I think, like, especially, like, in a Catholic school, the kids are like, oh, atheism. It's like, it's like, you're supposed to respect all people. Like, Jesus didn't say, like, oh, but not that one. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems a little, like, hypocritical, and I think that's what just drove me crazy. And mm-hmm. I, it was really hard not to say how I felt about a lot of things. And I would kind of passive aggressively, like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like voice my opinions on things. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my boyfriend would always be like, you're getting in trouble. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Why is it because I mean, um, it's hard when you see your kids, like you have students that you're like, you know that they're going to have to come to terms with certain things as they get older with their identity. And, yeah. and you know, and in that environment, they they can't really say anything or do anything. And if their parents are super like religious, that's going to be a big problem. So like, I always would try and be like, you know, like, happy if you guys ever need to talk (laughs) 
Um, yeah, you tried to make it clear that you were safe, even though you couldn't flat out say, I'm safe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually was going to bring up those those kids and kids like them. Um, I know that some private schools and possibly the one you were at as well offer scholarships to children who are from, you know, difficult, um, who financially couldn't afford to attend otherwise. They they have spots for them. They Some of them, as they get older, might open it up for um, sports or something along those lines. Were you working with children um, and youth in that population at all? And if so, how did they react moving from a low socioeconomic, um, a, lo a school with a low socioeconomic status to one such as a private school? Uh, they didn't really have scholarships for like bringing bringing kids in that were need-based usually the kids that came in who were less financially well off um, they had parents that were m working multiple jobs and then usually we would find out and like at the end of certain years there are scholarships that we can award to kids and we would try mm -hmm. and figure out which kids those were and make sure that they are the ones getting those scholarships um, but usually like the kids that would come, they seem to fit in fine. Like, um, like that was one good thing about the school was that they seem to be really good about accepting new kids. Um, I mean, there were kids that did voice that they had, um, different preferences and they didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> And um, some of the kids would be fine with it. And then I'd have some that would like tell me and I'm like, and? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and that's nice. Is it affecting yeah. you? No, get over it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So it, that sounds like a really great way to handle it where you basically told them if it's not affecting you, then you don't need to come in here and comment on their lives. Um, is that how you handle most things in your life? With myself? <laughs> yeah, you going out and interacting in the world. I mean, is it difficult for you to stick up for yourself in that way? Do you have to tell people, hey, this doesn't affect you, lay off? Um, I think you probably know this answer already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know um, you a little bit better than the listeners, but go ahead. I have a hard time speaking up for myself. Um, that's just how I am for some reason when it comes to like confrontation regarding something I've done. I have a hard time with it because I always am like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> but I mean, when it's about someone else, when it's about someone I care about, I have a very big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no problem saying how I feel about that situation. Um, very loudly and aggressively. <laughs> um, oh, a little departure from how I usually am. Yeah. yeah. My like, your I know, voice comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I know one of our big goals, um, Ali and I's big goal is to uh, empower people to be troublemakers when they need to be to to speak up and and speak out uh, right Ellie you would agree with that right oh yeah of course I mean <laughs> but I'm but I'm a troublemaker too so I like fully embrace that title yeah and and I know that and like you said I do know that when you when you're ready when you have to stick up for somebody or your voice needs to be heard uh, Kayla you're very good at doing what needs to be done and saying what needs to be said how do you balance that in your own life and as you're working in education um, in particular? Um, well, I think who's really helped me the most is my boyfriend. Am I allowed to say his name? Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> we, don't care, we don't care. Um, yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> so my boyfriend, Jimmy, um, he is much less of like a confrontational person than I am. Uh, like he, like you have to really, really bother him for a very long time before he finally like says something. Um, so he's kind of helped me like, rein it in a little bit and be like well maybe think of this you know or think of that think of what they're thinking before you say this and think about the possible repercussions <laughs> and I'm like okay <laughs> I have to because uh, yeah. I have had issues with people before like especially with the current 
political climate in the U.S. Um, working where I worked and um, there's certain people I'm around living where I live. <laughs> there's a lot of conflicting political opinions from my own and um, I've had some instances where I've said more than I should. <laughs> And, you know, and I, I hate confrontation. So afterwards, I'm like, oh, what did they do? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I've gotten better about the people close to me. And I'm like, look, this is how I feel. This is why I feel this way. Especially, like, with the pandemic. Like, my parents sometimes were a little difficult. And I was like, look, I need to do this because I care about you. And, like, trying to make it more about, like, instead of just being angry or being mad, like making it more about like that I care about these people. And I'm like, this is why I want you to do this. You know, maybe that impacts them a little bit more. And I mean, like when I would talk to students about difficult things, like I've had to have discussions about discussions about mental health with my students. Cause they just didn't understand some, of them. Mm-hmm. some of them didn't. And they would just brush it off saying like people were just using things to get attention. Mm-hmm. And I had to like really rein that in. <laughs> And um, I'm just like, you know, you don't know what other people are going through. And the fact that you've never experienced it, you know, doesn't mean that other people haven't experienced it. And you need to be respectful of other people's feelings and emotions and understand that everybody goes through tough times, maybe physically or emotionally. And you need to respect that. So just kind of like challenging those ableist comments like hey we're not all and you know and it's funny because they probably can also relate to some of it but there's such a stigma or maybe the conversation around this stuff at Mm -hmm. home prevents like that empathy or even like being able to resonate with you know like acknowledging like oh yeah i I struggle with that too because i mean it happens for everyone everyone has mental health Mm -hmm issues to some extent i think it's that well maybe not everyone but the whole toxic masculinity thing you know it because often it would be boys that said these things and you're just like i remember one of the boys that i talked to about it like i could tell he definitely felt remorse after our conversation Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just you know i think that for teachers sometimes they forget like we're not just there to teach them the curriculum like they're mm. to teach them to be successful productive members of society so like sometimes you have to get into that ethics and moral issues yeah you know now i'm talking about like toxic masculinity um because i mean schools are really good at perpetuating like these really toxic ideas i think i saw something on tiktok of like a principal using a paddle on a child and the mom watched it, but she couldn't say anything because she's an undocumented immigrant. So she felt like if she said something, she would, you know, get reported or whatever. Um, Or like seeing other teachers sticking up for, you know, the white students or the lighter skinned students, but not for like the darker skinned students or teachers getting mad at, at the girls, you know, the female students or female presenting students for showing too much skin. So I wonder how the, like how you navigate seeing all these different kinds of isms in the school (laughs) and like, okay, how do you like call it out, but also not get fired? (laughs) Yeah. Um, the the whole like girls showing skin like even though the kids wore uniforms like it was a problem um because you know this the girls wore skirts and but the thing is is like they're at an age where they're all growing Mm -hmm. so like it's kind of hard to be like okay that your skirt's too short but it's like they're all going through growth spurts and like uniforms aren't cheap (laughs) um but but the way that the school I was at handled it was kind of humiliating for it. I'm getting kind of nervous talking about it, but um, we will not name the school. Okay. We will not say where you're from. Um, so none of this will get out. It, your name, Kayla. We won't say your last name. And Jimmy is all they hear, so it'll be Kayla and Jimmy. But that'll and be we it. can and we can also like beep yeah. if you want us to too. Um, so what they would do is they would have uniform checks uh, periodically. 
and they would make all of the girls go in the cafeteria and they would get a ruler out and measure each girl's skirt. You've, you were working there, what, five years? Uh, This was my fourth year. Yeah. Okay. I I figured it was about that long because you started. Yeah. Um, So that means in the last four years, this kind of stuff was still happening? Yes. And before I started working there, apparently it was a rule that like all the girls and the teach female teachers had to wear dresses to math. Sorry. I just, I feel like (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where that laughter came from. I'm just like, I just sound so fucking ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm literally in shock. If somebody took my daughter to, I mean, I have a 13 year old now Mm -hmm. and she likes to show skin. She does. Mm -hmm. If someone took her aside and said, I'm going to measure how long your skirt is, Mm -hmm. I would be infuriated. Oh yeah. There is no way. I would. And then they don't even take into account like how tall the girls are. Mm Because I mean, obviously if you're taller, it's going to look shorter. If you're shorter, it's going to look longer. So like. Yeah. yeah. And then well, body types affect that. Mm-hmm. If you have a rounder body, you're going mm-hmm. your clothes are going to fit differently than somebody with a less round body and that, you know, all of that plays in. You know, it makes me but you know, it doesn't shock me cuz I'm thinking about my own education. We had to put our hands to our side to see how short our shorts were and if they were if our fingers are touching our skin our shorts were too short and we would have to wear the gym shorts that had like some kind of label of like I I don't remember what's written on it but there was something written on it to let you know that you were somebody who broke the dress code um and we would also have to lift our hands up and if any of our stomach was showing then we also had to change into the shaming clothes Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it's like the kid, the, they couldn't wear like makeup, no nail polish. Mm-hmm. Um, if they wore nail polish, we're supposed to like, send, like tell them to take it off right then. Like, uh, oh, wow. they couldn't wear jewelry if it didn't have like a cross on it. Were you allowed to? Yes, I was. I'm not, I wasn't allowed to dye my hair any unnatural colors, but I don't really, anyways. But then that made me want to do it more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, like, well, I had to wear, like, I wasn't allowed to wear, um, jeans on any days, but, like, Thursdays, and, like, you had to look and dress a certain way. It was very different from, like, public school, so I would wear, like, jeans and a t-shirt every day, and that's just, like, how I dress. Um, so, yeah, I got in trouble a few times. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, that makes me, I was reading this article about, you know, how a lot of, I mean, everything's very white centric. So like whatever's professional is based on these white centric ideas. And so I like, I can't imagine like any, you know, any BIPOC teacher, you know, over there, like if you have kinky curly hair, like that must've been really hard or like, or, or in a bigger body or, you know, all these other things that makes it like, it sounds like it's a really hardworking environment having to look a certain way and fit into that box. Yeah. It was, it was, it was also interesting because, like, the whole, like, the socioeconomic thing that also affected the teachers, too, not just the kids, because a lot of the teachers were, like, friends with the parents, so they wanted to, like, mm-hmm. fit into that, like, mm-hmm. bougie <laughs> lifestyle. So, like, you have people coming to school to teach and like high heels and you're like you're insane <laughs> yeah yes. um, or they're wearing like you know like brand like expensive brand name things to come and teach kids and i'm like <laughs> okay the question about that well did but before... now, i i don't want to get too far into like the money side of it but did they pay well enough i sorry oh i was gonna say let's take a quick break and then we should continue because we are about the halfway mark. Yeah, I am. Yeah, okay. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back to that. And we're back. Thank you <laughs> for listening to the ads. Appreciate you. Um, hope you go and sign up for our program, which will have an ad in this episode too. 
Yay! Yay. <laughs> okay. So before we left off, Nikki, you were going to ask about the relationships between teacher and parents. No, I was going to ask about relationship between teachers and money. Oh, that's right. I lied. Yes, absolutely. So one thing that you were saying, Kayla, was that um, sometimes some of the teachers were so were desperate to be friends with the parents. And so they, they dressed a particular way. They conducted themselves in a particular way. My question automatically goes to, was the school paying teachers well enough to keep up that lifestyle? Or were they putting themselves in selves into a difficult situation and an effort to keep up? Um, well, a lot of the teachers <clears throat> were married. So like they had husbands with better paying jobs. So that probably filled that gap but we definitely were not being paid anything close to public school salary like I did several extra jobs to get stipends and with my stipends I was making the minimum salary for a public school teacher so a private school was paying you less well than Make, a public you were, school you were pretty much being paid 20,000 less than the base salary for public school Wow. Yeah. That. <sighs> I'm just thinking so much about our system. Anyways. Yeah. So. <laughs> and they tried to like make up for it by like, if your kids, if you had kids going to the school, they didn't have to pay tuition, but I don't have any kids. So. Right. <laughs> right. Well, if you, if you had kids going to the school, let, let's say you had one child attending the school. Would that make up for the $20,000 you're losing? No, you would have had to have three kids to make it worth it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. So, I mean, like for me, it was fine for me. And all my stipends like made that cushion. And since I don't have kids, I had a lot of extra time and I enjoyed other things as well. But I mean, I did a lot of jobs. <laughs> so when I left, you know, it was me doing all these jobs. And now since I've left, they have that it's taken five people to do all the stuff I did. You know, wow. that just makes me think about, I mean, again, I'm not anti-capitalism, but I'm anti-capitalism as it exploits workers and in so uh, internalized <laughs> yeah but i like but i like the, i like the competition idea i like like the better quality products whatever by and not having a monopoly i just you know i like capitalism in the sense that if somebody were able to hold the one ring like from lord of the rings and not just like <laughs> blow it like in that kind of way you know we're humans <laughs> we're, we're dumb we we're, of course we're going to keep the ring and wear it um so, so we should all be hobbits it sounds like you like capitalism in theory. Yeah. But the way it's currently practiced doesn't line up with theory at all. Oh, yeah, of course not. Of course not. And so I'm like, like thinking. That's life in general. Right? And so, like, here they are exploiting you so you can just barely make ends meet. And then you have these parents or these teachers buddy up with these parents with money. So you have like this capitalism and you know, that elitism, that classism, like, hey, let me get as close to it as I possibly can, which is like the whole point of you know, white supremacy and colonization. It's just like, woof, woof. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yeah, There's a lot. It's insane. And like, I'm not very good about like, like, I'm nice, <laughs> but I'm not very good about like sucking up. <laughs> ah. So, like, <laughs> You would notice, like, when holidays would come around, there would be some teachers that would just get mountains of gifts. And I mean, like, expensive gifts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Kate Spade, like, computer bags and, like, Tory Burch, like, wallets and all this stuff. And I'm just like, mm, just weird. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but, like, I would get normal things. And, like, I... I like, I'm totally fine with that. Like, <laughs> and, like, a lot of times I would get better things from the kids that were more meaningful. Right. But, like, it was just insane. Like, 
And the thing is, is like they wouldn't just get gifts. Some of them would get trips. So like they would go, they would buddy up with these families and then be like, oh, we're going to go to blah, blah, blah. You want to come with us? Or do you want to use our beach house? Or Does, okay, that to me signals a ethical breach. And maybe it's just me. No, um, it is. It did. It, yeah. it really feels like it's setting up for bribery, you know? Oh, you have my child in your <laughs> class. I let you use my beach house and then I took you on this vacation. My child needs an A now. My mm-hmm. child needs a particular grade and I gave, I paid you already for that. I gave I, you this special purse. You now owe my child more. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of like how much stuff do kids get away with because of all of these things if you're paying it you know if you want to stay on the parents good side that means you can't have boundaries mm-hmm. if there's, you were to have boundaries you're going to get in trouble there's some really disturbing things that actually the kids got away with because of all these things so like do a hypothetical okay um hypothetically, hypothetically a child did let's say that the kids were in the restroom one of the kids was going to the restroom and one of the other kids like went over the stall and took pictures of this kid going to the restroom and sent it to all the other kids in the class which is literally a distribution of child pornography and all the kids got was like three days of in-school suspension that was it like no consequences Oh my goodness. That mm-hmm. hypothetical situation would be very shocking for me as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's the type of behavior being excused that way is that's what leads to children. This happened recently later or earlier this year. Um, a child was, a child went to the restroom and while there was beat up and he was six he was six and some mm. older children from his elementary school entered the restroom, kicked him in his penis and hit him several times before leaving him in the restroom. Um, and now he's afraid to use the restroom at school. That's the kind of behavior that leads to assaults like that. You know, yeah. letting them get away with something like taking a picture in a restroom leads to assaults in restrooms. It leads to excuse um ex- Excusion? Excusing? Excusing. <laughs> it, it, it leads to excusing these behaviors, these dangerous yeah. behaviors. And, and they I'm just like, yeah, it's like, it's boys being boys. And you're just like, no, that's not, that's not okay. <laughs> the toxic masculinity. But then I wonder, like, what are the consequences that parents are having to do when they're pushing on boundaries and being inappropriate? Because as we know, kids aren't in a vacuum when they do inappropriate things like this. They're getting it from somewhere. And maybe mom and dad aren't necessarily, like, hypothetically going into people's bathrooms and taking pictures of them like what language are they using how are they talking about people how are they interacting with people who are different from themselves are they being violent and disrespectful violent whether it's like physically or emotionally or mentally like where are the consequences for the parents where are the where's the accountability for the parents and it's hard to do that when they have all this money and everyone has to just suck up it seems like is that um, since they pay, you know, for the education, they think that they don't have to be accountable. Like if their Mm -hmm. kids don't, like we've had kids that during distance learning weren't coming at all, but yet Mm -hmm. we still had to pass them. Mm -hmm. You had to pass that? Like the the school Mm -hmm. made it clear that you had to pass them? Mm -hmm. But the parents are paying for an education. If the kids aren't getting the education, then what are the parents paying for? They just want that paper saying that they did pass that grade because there are parents that are straight up like, I'm not going to make them do homework. Mm-hmm. Like, so kind of like, what's her face with the, oh my gosh, what did they call it? The Varsity Blues scandal? With, uh, um, I don't know what it's called, but Aunt Becky. Uh, Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Becky. Oh, Lori <laughs> yeah. Laughlin, the, yeah. the college admission scandal. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the same thing where, you know, we're going to let them get away with this and 
oh, well, we'll just see how they live their life. We'll just support them for forever. Um, I, I think this comes back to what you said before the break about teaching more than the curriculum. You're mm-hmm. there and you're trying to teach more than the curriculum. And yet you're receiving direct opposition from the parents and the school, Mm -hmm. direct opposition from both the parents and the school. Navigating that world seems very, very difficult. Now, you told me before that um, you're planning, you're going back to school. You are getting um, your certificate, uh, your education certificate or teaching certificate. My credential and then I want to get my master's of education. Right. How, how, um, how does that feel knowing you're going back into an environment where parents aren't necessarily held accountable children aren't held accountable and in some cases the school isn't holding anyone accountable even though you're not going back to private school um how does that feel and how are you dealing with that i feel like public school they they're better about like they have the kids have to attend there's a whole truancy thing and mm-hmm. um, I feel like the support I would get in public school even when it was a school where the parents weren't as involved like I I hardly ever had issues at public school like with parents I think one time I had a call from a parent one time in three years and wow. at private school <laughs> I've been left in tears multiple times because mm. the parents would come and verbally, like, assault me. Oh, my goodness. I had a parent come in and yell at me saying that I was crushing her child's dreams and I was a terrible teacher. And then there was a teacher there for her son was in my class. And she came and yelled at me saying I was a terrible teacher and I was mean spirited and I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And oh my like, goodness. and she's just no remorse. And then when I reported that she had done that, there were no like ramifications for it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh. Which goes back to like these parents aren't, a, there's no need for accountability. So they get to walk over, which overall it's going to impact their education and the way they interact with people out in the world. Like it's okay to go to your, to a teacher and yell at them and verbally assault them, not -hmm. necessarily address concerns, but to yell and accuse and name call. Mm -hmm. So then what are the, what are their kids learning? What are their kids learning at home? How are they learning to interact with peers at the school? You know, like it's. The kids have the same attitude. The kids are the same. mm -hmm. I had the teacher's kid, he would argue with me in front of the class saying I was wrong, like try to have a debate with me. And mm-hmm. the, the first parent, they were very, very well off. So like, you didn't want to make them mad. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, she was a teacher. So like, you know, they, I would try to explain that we needed to make these kids responsible, that they needed to be able to handle their school stuff. In middle school, you should be able to keep track of your assignments, get your work done and not have limitless changes in deadlines and you don't need to hold their hand for everything. I mean, there are kids that do need extra help and there are extenuating circumstances where you need to be understanding. But -hmm. if you're just handing their grade to them, what is Mm -hmm. that teaching them for the rest of their life? How are they going to be prepared for high school? How are they going to be prepared for college or whatever they do in their life? Mm -hmm. And I'll try to have these conversations with my um, with the other teachers and it was like they're still young right and (laughs) that sounds like a very frustrating place to be like you see this is an area where we can have some improvements and everyone's saying yeah no we're good yeah no the the teacher's son I gave him a 95 he was expecting a hundred in the class or on a paper? And in the class. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And then he was upset with you and yelled. And then the other parent, uh, it was over one point. Hold on. You were crushing a child's dreams, quote unquote, over one point, mm-hmm. according to this parent? Yes. And, <laughs> and you are to blame for this. It's not the yes. child who didn't earn the point. Mm-hmm. It's you. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, 
this re- uh, go ahead Allie you had something to say well I was just thinking about like when trying to do this work and challenging people's privilege and whatnot it's like this is that's where you're going to get a lot of that's where you get a lot of backlash and you know I am entitled to these things and now I'm uncomfortable I didn't like that I got 95 out of 100 and therefore you need to accommodate me but I need to be respectful of you and not take inappropriate pictures of you and spread it <laughs> like it, it only goes one way and yeah. it's really fr- I mean and yeah this is a school but then you see it out in the world too it, you see it in so many different areas right yeah it just got it just gotten to a point where I didn't feel comfortable teaching anymore mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could teach I wanted to teach I was always second guessing when I was putting grades in like what am I going to get tomorrow? What's going to be my email? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be dictated to by the parents. Like I want to teach how I want to teach that I feel is best for the kids. Mm-hmm. And it just gotten to a point where I had like anxiety <laughs> yeah. all the time that something was going to come back and bite me. And I felt like I could no longer teach confidently in that environment. I wonder because you said you identify like you're you're Hispanic, and so do you ever do you ever feel like that played a part in the culture there? Um, I don't think the kids really notice because I mean, like I look very not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're white presenting, yeah. but you are Hispanic. Did you um, were you were you party to? to discrimination or did you hear or see about discrimination from people who didn't realize you were Hispanic? Um, not really about Hispanics. Um, well, until a certain someone was in <laughs> charge in the yeah. way. There was a lot of vocalization about um, things <laughs> in class and I would just be like, I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about that in class. We're not going to be intolerant. And we're going to focus on what we need to get done. Because the thing was, it got to the point where we weren't allowed to say anything about it. We couldn't even post anything about it. I still did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was the kids, like all the brainwash, all the theories that you hear, they would be spouting off the same things. And I'd be like, wow. Um. But definitely there, some of them had skewed views of other races, especially African-American. And there was only like, I think two kids that were. Yeah. In the whole school? Oh, mm-hmm. oh God. that. Mm. <laughs> so it was mostly white and, and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. It, uh, sounds, it, it sounds like this is the breeding ground for the entitlement and the privilege and bias that rebel revolution is all about fighting against. It sounds like places like this, these affluent schools, these places where parents aren't held accountable and the kids aren't told that they're, they ever will be are, it's just a breeding ground for the hatred and the intolerance and, and the entitlement and privilege we are seeing every day that is being weaponized against all marginalized communities yeah yeah and it's really sad because a couple years ago there was a different person in charge and it was a much much better environment and there were things being done to make these kids more aware but then uh management or leadership changed and it just kind of downhill from there and the person in charge doesn't want the responsibility of being in charge. She wants the perks. That's got to be really difficult. Yeah. You know, I feel like this was a really meaningful and substantial conversation. We are just about out of time. Um, it's certainly something I want to talk about again. So hopefully this is some, maybe in the future we can have you on again and we could speak more. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we didn't get to. (laughs) We could talk about Notre Dame and what that's like. Oh yeah, I would love to talk. I definitely wanted to talk about that. Talk about creationism. Oh. Supposed to be educated people. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we will go ahead and wrap this up. Um, Well, Kayla... I don't, you're not, you're not 
doing official things, but I mean, do you want to be found anywhere? Do you want to give out your social so people can come follow you or anything like that? Or if they have any questions or, or if not, that's also okay too. Um, I mean, if you guys want to like, if you want to field questions to me, that's fine. Like if people have questions and they want to ask you and then I can let you give you the response. That's fine. So if you are in wanting to talk to Kayla and, kind of pick your brain fun stuff just reach out to us um and you can contact us at we have a new email at contact at rebelrev.co um mm-hmm. on social media we are on twitter and instagram at rebelrev underscore and my personal not my personal my my therapy practice instagram is at allison gomez lmft allison with one l we are a very special <laughs> kind and Nikki? Yeah, you can find me at Hafner Nikki on Twitter. Um, all my everything's linked there in the bio. Um, and it'll be in the show notes. And and like Ali said, uh, reach out to us at contact at rebelrev.co. Um, and we we will definitely take your questions and throw them to, to Kayla at a later time. Bring her back on. We'll answer them live. It'll yes. be fun. And <laughs> if you are wanting to learn more about privilege, about how you identify with privilege how you're weaponizing privilege so you can stop being a dick out in the world um <laughs> come follow you know go to our website www.rebelrev.co um join the revolution it's an online community so you're gonna learn some information we're gonna have some hard feels but at the end of it you're gonna be a better person hopefully you won't be doing this <laughs> or you know or at least taking accountability when you when you do fuck up so yeah all right Thank you guys so much.